So, Jim, the five most powerful laws in the world is where we left it last week. So we're going to cover yeah, them Yeah, wealth control, yeah. Five yeah. most powerful laws in the world. We're going to go through this, actually. Um, and, I, and I think it's really good, you know, to talk about that. Um, because there'll be there'll be similarities in you know what I've done and what other people have done as well, and they'll be going, yeah, I'm following that law, uh, definitely. Yeah. And there'll be other ones where you think, actually, I'm not following that law at all. So that then gives you the confidence to say that, okay, if I follow that law as well, then things might accelerate a lot quicker than I expect. That's the that's the mentality of the five most yeah. powerful laws in the world. I mean, there are, there are five laws, ultimately, Richard. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure some, as I said, some of you might have heard of them. Um, it's just that you never knew that they were called uh, the biggest laws in the world. Now, I don't yeah. mean like legislation laws. What I mean by like things like the laws of attraction. Uh, most people mm-hmm. know the laws of attraction that are successful at some point in time because they understand that. Most people know things like NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um and, 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 you know, there's other things as well. I talked to somebody about this yesterday and they started to mention about focus and uh, core values. And I went, whoa, wait a minute, you're not just an artist. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, was at an artist crafts event and I'm yeah. like, you're not just an artist. No one comes up with these sort of, these, that, these sayings and stuff like that with, you know, it, it, it's an artist unless they've actually been involved in this in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for me, this is this is what it is. It's these five laws. The biggest in the world that people use it and try to live by it in every phase of their life. But you probably haven't heard anyone um, mention them at all. You just know you use them, but you don't yeah. know what they're called. When you sense. when you mentioned this last week and says we're going to do the five uh, most powerful laws next week, and I thought, God, what are they? And you sent me the information about what they were, and they've all got individual names, and I thought I've never heard of them. But when you actually look at what the laws, what they actually are, mm. I thought, oh, yeah, I know that one. And I know that one. So Definitely. for me, like everybody else watching, it's new to me. Although, obviously, you're obviously, uh, already aware of what the actual names of the laws are and and and, and follow them. For me, it's kind of, oh, right, okay, that's that one then and that's that one. So this is going to be quite a good one today. Well, let's, let's talk about I follow them loosely. <laughs> I follow them loosely. Everybody does it some shape or form at some point in their life, I think. Um, Any success you've got will probably be down to these five laws. And any, 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 any times you're not successful, it's probably down to the fact that you're not following any of these five laws at all. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, tune in and and we'll talk about this. Uh, You know, number one. What is number one, Richard, uh, we, we spoke about, you know? So, sorry, I'm just, uh, we're a wee bit early today, so I was just making people aware that we're, we've started to be a bit early, so. But yeah, Murphy's number law. one. Murphy's, Murphey's law. Murphy's law. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. Yeah, cocktail. Yeah. You know, uh, Coughlin's law, you know, and Murphy's law and stuff like that. You know, that's where it all, that's where it all come from. There's, th- this, this stuff isn't made up. So what does Murphy's law say? Well, this is, Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And I'm sure a lot of people will know, have heard that and know that. So um, that's quite a, an interesting one. Um, and of all the uh, anonymous, uh, uh, eponymous laws, Murphy's Law is the one where you're most likely to have heard it. And I think a lot of people will have. And it's simply the rule that anything that will go wrong, can, uh, that can go wrong, will go wrong. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so this was Edward Murphy, right? an aerospace engineer that came up with mm -hmm. this. And the story behind the law is actually more positive than you actually think. Uh, Murphy was working as an Air Force, Air Force base and an Air Force base to develop new devices for testing human tolerance mm -hmm. of, of, of G-force. You know, there's you know, no surprise, Air Force base uh, developing new devices, aerospace and stuff like that. And several errors nearly led to someone being seriously injured. Uh, but the team had always assumed that everything could go wrong. See there? Yeah. So th this is what I talk about, about play the downside. It's the same thing. Play mm -hmm. the downside. So when I go through the critical path analysis, and I also go through the um, I, the the plan of how everything should work. In other words, in an ideal world. So I'm I'm starting off with the the interest rate as it is just now. When I'm when I'm doing property investment, for example, I'm starting off with the interest rate as it is just now. I'm starting off with 100% occupancy rate as it is now. I'm starting off with uh, the, the 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 rental value as it should be now the market rent. I'm starting off with uh, overheads at a high rate. In other words, the amount of money I'm needing to reinvest into the property to keep it going and maintain the property and actually keep the tenancy going. Yeah. So when I do my modelling in terms of where I want to be financially when I when I invest in a property and what purchase price I want to do for it, it's financial modelling. It's called. Okay, yeah. use it and, you know, they use it in uh, economic projections and stuff like that. So on a small scale, I'm doing a wee financial model for a property investment and, and also for a portfolio. If there's a portfolio and how much it yields and how much the interest rate is to buy it, you know, and when you're buying it and what the overheads are and what the running costs are and you factor all that in at the, at the best scenario possible. And then I apply Murphy's Law. Yeah. What happens if the occupancy rate drops, in other words, the, play, the property isn't occupied. Now, mo for most people, they could run their business model like that as well. A lot of businesses run their business models like that as well. It's called sensitivity analysis and mm -hmm. risk analysis for another phrase. A lot of the, the insurance companies use this all the time. They risk analyze everything. They have certain standards that they have to meet when somebody invests and they insure that investment and back it up so when they invest for example when you come along and we'll come back to the bit about my financial modeling and how we do it uh, yeah. when you come along in the insurance industry and say look i'm a 55 year old man and i want critical illness cover they go well you're more likely to have an illness uh, now at 55 than you were at 35 mm -hmm. so you're so according to our figures your insurance is going to be a lot higher than you were when you were 35 years old because the risk of you having a heart attack, for example, is probably a lot more likely, or heart disease. Did Did you know heart disease is the biggest killer in the world? And yet we focus on things like cancer and that. I did actually know that. And as it's quite a, it's it's over. It's not, I wouldn't say it's overlooked, but it's not a, got as much definitely attention. Overlooked. As definitely overlooked. It's the very poor relation, <laughs> okay. and yet heart disease is the biggest killer in the world. Yeah. It is not cancer or anything else, it's heart disease that's causing the problems here. That's the, that's the problem we need to solve to live a bit longer. Everything mm -hmm. else will fall into place as a result. Anyway, let's come back to Murphy's Law and how it applies yeah. to me. So when I go through a, a financial uh, a, a, a extrapolation, in other words, I, I, um, I, I model it to see where I'm going to be, 
now, by the way, I've not even bought the property to begin with. So this is just financial modeling. I then know what the market rate of rent is. I then know what the interest rate is. I then know what the overheads are. I then know what the occupancy rate is in terms of that. Then I bring the occupancy rate down and I, see, and I start to work out tolerances. Yeah. How far does my occupancy need to drop before, and this is the key here, before everything else breaks even? So in other words, before I break even, there's zero at the bottom with my overheads and everything on. Now, generally, my tolerance is six months. In other words, half. Now, it's very rare that's ever going to happen when you buy a property. It's not going to just be occupied half of the year because more than likely the property is ready to go or you refurbing it's ready to go and something's going to stay in it for a lot longer than half of the year. But I bring it down to see if it actually gets down to that level. Now, sometimes I've got a wee bit of tolerance, about nine months possibly, because I know I've got fat you know, built in somewhere else. And I mean like extra overheads and that built mm -hmm. in that I could actually cut back on. So that's what I mean about trimming the fat. You don't just want, you don't want to cut into the bone though when you're doing things. So this is what Murphy's Law is all about. It's like anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So model for that. So how far can it go wrong? Six months for me. And then I then put that back up to the 12 month occupancy rate and say, okay, I know interest rates are going to be fixed for me for five years on a five year deal possibly. So that's what it's going to be fixed at. But in, the, in, in an ideal world, if I didn't have that fixed rate, how far can I go before the overheads are before the overheads are or, or before the overheads are covered, in other words? And and then then it might be the case that, well, for example, right now in my portfolio, interest rates need to go to 16% before I need to worry. I think everybody will have to worry at that level. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to hell in a handbasket if that's the case. Yeah. So therefore, you know, I've got a huge degree of tolerance in terms of the financing as well. Um, so I could afford for interest rates to go up and take that hit and absorb that if it, need, if it needs to come to it. So I've got the interest rate covered then. And then I think to myself, OK, let's look at rent controls. If rent controls come in and Patrick Harvey gets his way and then all of a sudden we're, we're deemed at the fact that we're no longer getting... 550 for a, a two-bedroom property, um, if that's the case. Uh, now, this is just examples, by the way. We're no longer getting 550. Yeah. We might end up getting 450. But how far can I go low in the rent before it actually breaks even? It breaks even means you've got enough money to cover your overheads. So how far can that go? And then often it's like, you know, I can get a three-bedroom house um, and then actually get a one-bedroom rent out of it. Still. still, so I've still got a huge here. degree of tolerance in the terms mm -hmm. of the rent level as well. I can actually bring that down. Hence the reason why I give some people a lower rent to help them out because I can absorb it. So then I put that back up to where it should be in the market rent. And then I work on, okay, in an ideal world, if anything does happen and these all collide together at the same time, if I, if I, if I need to cut back on overheads, you know, 30% overheads of the top line rent I've got in all the time. So if I've got 30% in, and 30% is things like management fee, it's insurance, it's repairs and, and renewals. If I cut back on on, on, on the on the um, repairs or the, the overheads, um, which I can't, because I could, you, you know, in an I ideal mean. situation, I wouldn't want to self-manage, but you would self-manage because that is the biggest cost to you. Um, or because you don't really want to cut back on the refurbishments. So self-manage. Mm -hmm. If I cut back on that, it cuts by it cuts to fifteen percent instead of thirty. Okay. So then, can I can I, can I have a lot more tolerance everywhere else? And the answer to that is yes. Then I work out. Okay, if that's the case and all that model, 
that then tells me that's exact. I'm pointing to the bit of my spreadsheet. That tells me my spreadsheet what's the purchase price for that type of rent should be mm-hmm. matches up with. And that's what I'm doing in terms of financial modeling and buy to investment. I'm applying Murphy's law every single time. We talked about this in forecasting for the business when I came back yeah. to you and said, you know, let's look at the next six months because we forecast at the beginning of the year. This is the targets we want to hit. Yeah. Are we going to hit them? And then we go to the six months and we'll go, okay, are we going to hit them or are we going to exceed them or we're maybe going to be a bit more challenged because the economy is a wee bit different? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, where are we now? So then you presented your information for the lens division. Perry invented and, and presented her information for the sales division. I then put it into a financial model and then I modeled that again and then worked out where I am. Budgeting, budgeting and forecast. Yeah. Um, now, this is not new. This is what happens in the city. So when I used to work with PLCs, you know, when we were when we were involved in limited companies and, and you know, reporting to PLCs, both our PLC was a classic example at the time. Uh, when I was in VZS Technical Ceramics as a financial controller, we had to report to both our PLC, but we were actually helping out on the board for both as well as the management team um, with Edward Duke and Clive Gillum, who was the financial director and the uh, managing director of the PLC. Uh, we actually advised them, you know, and I sat in on that, and we made sure that we financially modelled, hence the reason why if you've got a profit warning because you've remodelled and reforecast, then you have to notify the, the city that there's going to be a profit issue. Um, and it's these profit warnings that investors pick up on and they think, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be investing in that company anymore, or it doesn't make sense investing in that sort of level anymore. So this is the Murphy's Law thing. Now, it could all go right. But you still have to report as a PLC if it is actually going to be different than what you expected in the first place. That's why sometimes bigger companies like uh, BP and that do quarterly and Amazon, they do quarterly statements this time to tell the city they're on track and their investors are on track or they're maybe going to exceed or they're maybe just not going to uh, hit the level that they were supposed to. Apple comes up that as well, don't they? Mm-hmm. Now, Apple comes up and then sometimes you see other people. Now, who was it recently? Somebody came on and actually just yesterday, actually on BBC News, on the on the you know the, the news, they said they're actually going to they're actually going to downsize their workforce because they're now forecast and remodeled and they realise they're not going to generate as much revenue as they thought. So now they're going to have to look at the first thing that they go for, and it's typically labour because labour is usually the highest cost in the business. And this is what Murphy's Law is all about. It's like yeah. if, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And that's what you financially model on. Yeah. And my question was going to be to you that obviously when you're applying Murphy's law, when you're looking at potential buy to let purchases and things, and you stress test that and and change uh, certain things, whether it be interest rate or occupancy or things, and, and push yeah. that right to the limit. If by any chance it does get to that limit, then what do you do as your backup or your safety? But then as you're saying that as your overheads, and you would look to self-manage initially. Yeah. That would be the first thing you would cut back on. And like you say, or bigger companies might look at labour and that's how they would cut back and that's what their backup um, and their safety measures would be if that scenario occurred. Whereas a lot of buy-to-let landlords um, actually self-manage, they don't actually stress test to the fact that, uh, you know, they, they don't put into their financial model and that uh, a letting agent could be doing this for them. And that's mm. why when they get to the point where maybe something else happens in their life or something else happens in their career, and and they may be they may be given another job and they have to concentrate higher on that because they're maybe given a promotion. They've got no they've got no they've got nothing in that financial model 
to actually appoint a letting agent because they've got they've no built in any cost to what they did in the first place. Therefore, they bought the house at too high a price point and the rent isn't able to cover all these costs. Therefore, they're left having to self-manage a property. They can't self-manage anymore. Do you know, it's, it's, it's quite good practice as well because although you're saying, Jim, you've got fixed interest rates and things, but you still tr- est, eh, uh, stress test the fact that they may of they may be cheap because then you're, I've, you're preparing I've had for any so of much experience i've had yeah. so much experience with the banks never trust a bank with yeah. what they say because the banks will sell say anything to sell you the product and just like a salesman they'll say anything to sell you the product once they've sold you the product five years comes along it's like oh it's a different situation by mm-hmm. that time i've got you by the short and curlies you're with mm-hmm. us you can't go anywhere else because you're locked into our system. Therefore, we're going to put the base rate up or we're going to put the interest rate up. And it's like, you better be you better be aware of that and you better be able to tolerate that if that happens. Now, nine, 99 times out of 100, it probably won't happen, but I err on the side of caution all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's what Murphy's Law is applicable to. That's the whole point yeah. of Murphy's Law. Yeah, definitely an important one um, in any shape or form whether it's your whether you're a bigger company or whether you're just a, a self-managed buy to let landlord it's a really good thing to have i would uh, tell every single small that. business every single small business owner every single um every single person that's got a budget for their household as well is yeah. apply murphy's law apply murphy's law in the principle that i always i always forecast as well and on a personal level for elaine and i what uh-huh. happens if elaine loses her job yeah would we be able to survive on my income on its own and every single time the answer to that was yes, because we always worked within my one salary. So one salary is what we lived on in the very beginning for mm-hmm. a lot of years. And it, and it surprises everybody because at the time, we literally just lived on a thousand pound a month. And that included our mortgage. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> realize. And at that time, I, do that now. <laughs> I was a company director. I had yeah. a brand new Mercedes car that sat at the front. And our budget and cash every single month was a thousand pounds we lived on. And mm-hmm. everything else we had went into the buy to let business, went into property investment, went into wealth creation for the, me- the medium to long term. We yeah. always looked at it like that. This was like planting all these seeds, like a farmer mentality. Every single seed getting planted, e- each one of these pounds, you know, each one of these pound notes getting planted and actually encouraging them to grow into this beautiful tree that would that would provide huge amounts and abundance of fruit every time we came to harvest. Mm-hmm. The tree was growing, and as a result, every single year we harvest. And we still do that today. Yeah. Everything we but everything we everything we planted in the very beginning, we harvest today it still. And every single year yeah. comes to fruitation. Every single year we harvest. We did it once. We disciplined ourselves by the rules of Murphy's Law and the other laws that we're going to talk about. And we reap the harvest and we reap the harvest every single year. So there's no surprise when I tell people it were away to Necker Island next week. Next week, yeah. Richard Branton's home. But I mean, that's um, it's really good to use that example, Jim, because people might think, well, that doesn't apply to me. But everybody in their day-to-day life, and if you're applying this, what if one of you is lose, and, and looking at a normal household, what if one of you is lose your job? Or what if interest rates on your mortgage go up? Or what if utility bills skyrocket? Do you know what I mean? And then you would look at trimming back things like entertainment, sky packages, things things like that. They are the things you would take out. We never then. had that. 
yeah but i'm just in today's world if yeah. people were looking at it, that's what you would that's how you would approach it we had that option yeah and and genuinely richard all we ever went for was what i call council tv council tv yeah which was free view that was yeah. it you had a free view box at the time it was never built into a television and you had a free view box and you got that for basically you bought the box and that was that done and it was free television all the time. That's all we lived by. There was no subscriptions to Amazon. There was no subscriptions to Netflix. There was no subscriptions to Disney Plus. There was no subscriptions to everything. I hate subscriptions because subscriptions means ongoing cost. Yeah. Now, I know I have to do it now for what I do in the business and I accept it, but I don't get involved. Everybody used to come around and be like, oh, have my photocopier. It'll be it'll save you loads of time. And I like like what what time will it save a, a laser jet or an inkjet printer can't do? Because I'm not doing huge volumes of what I'm doing. Yeah. And you're hiring me a printer and you're costing me every single month. And I've got to pay for that every single month for the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. No way am I taking that into the books on my on the cost of my business. And that's how that's how I run that's how I run the businesses. Yeah. Um, and that's not my business personally, but the business is manufacturing and I, and I, I was a financial controller and financial director for. Um, these were all the things that were really important. And and that's the, the Murphy's Law was the typical one. What about, yeah. what about the next? What's yeah. the next one then? So the next one is a uh, Kidlin's Law. So Kidlin's mm. Law is if you write down a matter clearly, write it down clearly, then it's half solved. Now, I could relate to this because there's a lot of times where, I mean, you come up in challenges, whether it's work and life and things, see if you write something down, it just becomes a lot more clearer in your mind. And I feel like you are able to solve something a lot easier once you've kind of processed it and, and written it down. It's like learning as well. If you write something down and say it out loud, you learn it quicker. So I could relate to this one as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a, for me, there's a slight variation just for me personally. Okay. I think if you've got a problem you need to solve, write it down, okay, mm-hmm. what the problem is, clearly define it. You'll not be able to solve it there and then because that's why you're writing it down. So it gets out of your head, it gets onto paper. And then, you know, I know somebody used to have a wee box, you know, just a wee, like wee jewellery box, and it sat on his desk. And he used to write it down, and he used to put it in the box, and he used to close the lid. And after a couple of days, he would open the box, he would look at the question again and he'd go, I've got the answer. Yeah. And and it's because his unconscious mind actually went to work on the problem without him actually knowing. And and by putting it in the box, he was more or less physically compartmentalizing yeah. the, the problem rather than keeping it in his head, which clouded his judgment for everything else that was going on in his day-to-day life. And that's how he did it. So for me personally, that's what I do now, but the box is in my head. It's like if I've got a problem and somebody says, oh, we've got this and we've got that, we need to deal with this and need to deal with that, I go, yeah, okay, leave it with me. And, and then I'll put a reminder in my diary in a couple of days' time or I'll put a task to do. And then in a couple of days' time, I'll come back and the reminder will say to me, so-and-so, so-and-so. And it's like, ah, now I know what the answer is. <laughs> it's like, you know, or, or your, you know, you probably come across that yourself. Well, I don't know if this is maybe the same, but... I, I tend to I WhatsApp myself messages and I email myself or I'll email I'll write an email and I'll leave it in my drafts or something and I'll this go is back. Exactly the same. Yeah. Law. yeah. So I'm sure that is not new to anybody in terms of what it is, but but it's attributed to different people and the slight variations of, of Charles Kettering, uh, head of uh, innovation at General Motors, spoke of the problem uh, and, and well stated being 
half solved, you know, every mm. single time when he did that. Albert Einstein is quoted as having to said that if he only had an hour to save the world, he'd spend 55 minutes defining what the problem is and only five minutes solving it. <laughs> that's that's strange to think it like that. But the, and, and if you think of Albert Einstein's train of thought as like that, then that's quite um, that's quite interesting. Too many people jump in feet first. Mm hmm into every single problem and think they're going to solve it right away. But what they don't realise is if, it, if it's not absolutely urgent at this point in time, yeah. you need to take some time out and think about it and have the define the actual problem. Because often what you're defining or what you think the problem is, isn't the real problem. Keith Gilbert, or Gilbert Keith Chiston, is credited with having said that it isn't that they can't see the solution. It's they aren't, can't actually see the problem. Yeah. See what I mean? It's like, it's like we can agree. Yeah, we can agree to defining the problem as, as, as well is essential to enable to solve the correct issue and therefore having a positive impact on the solution pursued. So let me give you an example of the problem. Yeah. The problem is a lack of affordable, okay, well, the problem is house prices are going higher and higher uh -huh. and most people can't afford them. Well, most people in general run the mill can't afford them. You know, man on the street can't afford these high prices right yeah. now. Whether they, whether they can afford it or not is in the political debate about they should be able to afford it and all the rest of it is another question. But the problem is some people can't afford these big houses or, or the houses that they need. So the houses that they need, not the houses they want, the houses that they need for their yeah. circumstances. So so that is the problem. Um, the rental market, for example, so the private rented sector is overheated right now. Mm -hmm. So that is the problem. And rents apparently, supposedly, according to the media and according to Patrick Harvey, are out of control, which is the Minister for Tenants. So what is the real problem? And what is the real answer to that? Now, think about this. Their answer is, I tell you what, we'll put rent controls on the private sector and we'll stop landlords selling their houses so we can keep them for people to stay in. Now, do you think that's really the problem properly defined and the solution properly delivered? No, and, and obviously... So what us. is the real problem? Well, for me, it's there is property is scarce and housing is scarce. So yeah. So how do you then make it so property and housing isn't scarce? Build more. <laughs> how do you make it affordable? Well, how do you make it affordable then? You build more houses, more affordable houses. You build more affordable housing. If you build more houses, if you're on an island and you've got 10 houses and you've got 100 people for 10 houses, if you build 90 other houses, then everybody's got a house. Yeah. What do you think that does to the price of every house? Then? The price will come down. Yeah. It stabilizes the price to where it should be naturally based on the incomes of the 100 people on the island. Because therefore you'll have... 10 of these properties sitting empty out of the 90, out of the 100, 
because the mm-hmm. other the other ten can't afford to buy them. So they'll have to come down to a level where these people can buy them because that's the so the problem is not the private rented sector and the fact that house prices are going out of control. The problem is supply. Yeah, there's not there. That's definitely the, the problem real problem is supply. The real problem is not a private rented sector crisis. The real problem is a social rented sector crisis because there's not enough social rented houses because they sold them all off in the 1980s. 70% of the stock disappeared. Now home ownership, and that's quite right because these people need them because they're now in there or they would be empty. So these people have them now, but they didn't replace these. Therefore, the new generation coming along who can't afford that because of their income levels, therefore don't have access to any affordable or social housing. So in order to stabilise the market and sort it in the long run, the key is to build social housing and also affordable housing and put a lot more supply into the market, therefore stabilising prices and probably bringing right down. Now, Japan is a classic example of that. Japan house prices were six times more in the early 2000s than they are right now. Why is that? Because the population decline. Therefore, there was more houses available. Therefore, yeah. there's less people to buy them. Therefore, the house prices come down because there's an oversupply. See how that solves a house price issue. See that yeah. how, how, how that solves a, a, a rental issue. If you've got more properties for rent, it stands to reason there's more for people to choose from. Therefore, the rents will be more affordable because they'll automatically come down supplying demand economics. Yeah. So Kidling's yeah. law is... If you write the, the matter down clearly, that's a half solved. And clearly the matter isn't the private rented sector or it isn't property prices. It's a it's a crisis in the, the amount of affordable homes and social housing being built. That's the problem. Could I, could I say something, obviously, on topic? Um, so if we're thinking about, say, this, take the Scottish government and thinking about housing, and if we're talking about Kidland's law, surely, <laughs> this is going to sound really obvious, if they were to sit down and look at this, put it down on paper in front of them, what the problem is, which is we've got an in- a, a, a lack of supply of housing, increasing costs, then surely they would de- uh, deduce that the, the issue is we need more housing. We need to build more housing, affordable housing, social housing. Richard, they probably know that already, but well, they yeah. can't even build I mean, the social housing. That. They can't even build the social housing they're committed to already because we've not got the skills and we've not got the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. That is the defined problem. We don't have the skills. We don't have the necessary people to, to, to do it as well. And we don't have the financial impact as well. They don't have any of these resources. So what do they do? Plus the fact this is short-term thinking. This is mm-hmm. how can we get political points? Remember, the, the ultimate the ultimate result of a a politician is to be defeated because that's the only way they'll stop being a politician so ultimately they want to stay in power all the time so everything they want to do has to be designed to appeal to the masses who vote for them Mm -hmm. so the mob rules whereas you can see right now you know i I, know i'm not i'm not being political here when i say about jeremy hunt Jeremy Hunt stands up and goes, no, fiscal duty, this is what we need to do. This is how we need to get back on track. This is how we need to be in the medium to long term. Now, whether that's right or wrong is a different story. That's not what we're talking about here. But the fact is, he goes against the grain because he realises it's not about popularity here. It's about saving the economy 
and mm-hmm. saving Britain PLC. That's how he looks at it. Totally different way. Now, in my opinion, that might be the possible the right way because inflation's starting to come down. Interest rates are going to be coming down as well. Employment's still at a record level. So only time will tell. In five years' time, we could look back at this and think, well, what actually happened? Yeah. It'll be interesting to do that. So that is what Kidlin's Law is all about, writing the matter down and clearly defining it in order to solve the real problem and the real issue. Yeah. Number three. What's number three then? So the next one's interesting. Number three is Gilbert's Law. And Gilbert's Law is the biggest problem in the world is no one tells you how to do it. Hmm. Okay. Well, for this law, I'm not going to explain this or tell you the story behind it. You really have to figure it out for yourself. But who information and value first? And the money will come naturally. So information and value come first, and the money will come naturally as a net result. Have you ever heard me say the money is a byproduct of what we do well? Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. Well, that, that falls into that falls into the next law as well, as 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 uh, Walson's law. And that's what I was going to say, because we spoke about this on Saturday, Jim. And you were talking about the actual value and what you um, give to people on an appointment and, and whether, I mean, you go out to see people to sell their property, but you don't always advise them that selling their property is the right thing. Yeah, and that, that, is, that, that is real value. Of course it is. And then when I walk in the door, I tell them exactly what they should be doing, how they should be doing it, where they should get advice for this, yeah. where they could get support for that, where they could get this. So by the time I've walked out there, I've basically given them a whole financial makeover in terms of where they are right now. And I'll give them the facts and I'll let them decide what they want to do next. Mm-hmm. But the information and the value comes first. So give, 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 give. And at some point you'll get. That's, that's what's all about. A lot of people talk about that. Um, so let's talk about American entrepreneur, uh, Wilson. Once put forward a rule, put information and intelligence first and the money will come rolling in. So what does it mean? Well, in Florence, USA, for example, two men named John and Harry began working with a vegetable trading company at the same time. This is a good analogy. Mm-hmm. Three months later, John was promoted to team leader with a salary and his salary doubled. And Harry was still in the same position. Now, very dissatisfied, Harry questioned his boss, and his boss answered, well, now our company is ready to order a batch of potatoes. Go and have a look. Harry hurried back half an hour later to report the potatoes were were sold in the wholesale wholesale vegetable centre. The boss stopped him and called John over, and John said methodically, there are three potato sellers in the wholesale vegetable centre 20 kilometres away. Two of them charge... 0.9 dollars in other words 90 cents per kilo per half kilo and the other charges 80 cents per half kilo by comparison i found the potatoes with 80 cents per half kilo were not only cheaper but also better quality so as a person knows who's in real-time dynamics of the market and holds information without going out to inquire has won without competition you know know, basically what did i say about property investment coming back to that yeah I've worked out the answer before I've actually started the journey. So the the, the the begin with the end in mind probably comes into this. 
begin yeah. with the end in mind and as a natural result it's only a case of time and actually you know how quick you can put everything together before you actually get to the end result so probably that's the information it's the information and the value must come first before you benefit from anything else um it's the farmer mentality as well look at the farmer he plants the seed he sows the seed he nurtures the seed or she by the way no being says anything like that plants mm -hmm. seed sows seed nurtures the seed anything like that does everything possible expects no return at this point in time and as a natural result once the harvest grows boom the money will flow naturally that's that's the whole point that is actually gilbert's law biggest problem in the world no one tells you how to do it that's really what it comes down to i think it's very you're, you're totally right because i think when you put that much effort and and apply knowledge and learning and and, and enthusiasm into something in the beginning um without really having the, to seek the financial gain or, or having that as your as your ultimate goal the, the money and financial aspects and things will always naturally follow that yeah so that sorry i, I stand corrected that's actually that's actually lawson's law so uh, for sorry uh, mistake there that's lawson's law gilbert's yeah, law we'll come yeah. back to gilbert's law in a minute so lawson's law is actually put the information first and the money will come naturally as a result of what we're doing uh, and that's that's lawson's lawson's law and um, so that's how it comes out so it kind of comes in with the farming mentality going back to the biggest law you know the one the one about gilbert's law no one actually tells you how to do it so what do i mean by that about no one tells you how to do it well It, it really is down to a case that you have to figure it out yourself. And that's what I did in the beginning. It is, yeah. And I think so a lot what, of did I, what did I do in the beginning? I had I knew nothing about buy to let. I knew nothing about property investment. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But I knew a guy that did. Um, at that time, I knew a person that did, and it was Jim Steenson. So Jim, mm -hmm. had a, he had just developed a unit. He was actually starting to rent them because he couldn't sell them because it wasn't in the great economic times of that, you know, the boom market at that time. Yeah. So he decided to rent them instead. So when he started to rent, I then started to pick up on it as well because it was all, you know, intertwined with my way of thinking, where I was going. So then I started to start figuring things out for myself as I went. And this is this is what this is what Gilbert's law is all about. So apologies if I got that mixed up. So Gilbert's law is all about figure it out as you go along. This is about you know um, Barbara Cochran talks about it. You know the real estate tycoon. Um, she talks about this quite a lot. She was she's on the Shark Tank in America which is equivalent to Dragon's Den. So she talks about this um, quite a lot. And and the great analogy she talks about um, is, what is that? Is, is, is one, uh, just do it. In other words, she talks about, just jump out the window and learn to fly on the way down. <laughs> and literally, that's all I do. I just jump out the window and learn to fly on the way down. That's mm -hmm. sometimes how you have to do it fly where you go hence the reason why we are starting early today because it's yeah. like i know i've got a big i've got a critical path here i've got to lead i've got three different things to do and in, in terms of property launches this afternoon i need to fit them all in i can't do them before so we'll have to get this done early so we're doing yeah. this a bit earlier than usual for that very reason so this is about figuring it out if you learn gilbert's law and about figuring out how to do it as you go along that's the perfect example and i'll come back again to the analogy that i say just jump out the window for god's sake and learn to fly on the way down uh, and you'll 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 figure it out trust me this is all about commitment 
This is about, you know, do you actually believe in yourself and do you have the faith in yourself as well? If you have overall belief in yourself and you have faith and you'll, you'll, it'll come right for you, you're more or less guaranteed that's what's going to happen. And now, it might not be exactly how you want it to be. It might not be exactly how you want it to be in terms of um, the overall result. But you're going to you're going to find your natural path. Now, instantly, incidentally, this one, figure it out as you go along. Uh, this is what I talk about, you know, quite a lot about. I don't actually know where I'm going. Exactly. But I know if I keep doing things like this and if I keep doing other things, like speaking to people in podcasts about how, you know, how they got their success and stuff like that and local people uh, and and. And and, and 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 stuff like that as well. I know at some point in time it'll lead me uh, to something else, which I don't know about yet. Because I'm a great believer and you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And and I trust myself the fact that, yeah, I probably don't know what I don't know. Because everybody goes, oh, you must know everything. No. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you just have to have faith in yourself that you're going to be able to figure it out as you go along. And that takes a lot of confidence. That yeah. in, in yourself and your abilities. I think as well, like like you say, obviously the Gilbert's Law is no one's going to tell you how to do it. But I think if you've got the savvy and the understanding to to speak and learn to the right people and do the right things and be consistent in that, then ultimately you'll you'll get to where you want to go in your journey. Yeah. Let me give you a good example of this, Richard, and you'll be <laughs> involved in this. Um, <laughs> when we set our targets at the start of the year, and you went, yeah. there's no way I'm going to achieve that. And I went, yeah, I think we will. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. And then within two months, we'd hit them. Yeah. That was that was actually amazing because we said, and I'm like, oh, we're never going to do that. And I didn't really have much confidence. Um, and it just but naturally I had complete and utter faith. It just naturally happened because we were doing the right things. Well, I was doing the right things and my team was doing the right things. To yes. get to that and point. Do you know how I had complete and utter faith? Because I was I was working towards that as well, so unconsciously. Mm-hmm. I was working towards that as well. What we're doing right here just now is working towards what we're trying to achieve yeah. for that reason. And that's why it comes down to laws of attraction. It's that you'll attract the people that are like-minded like you and want to want to be want to have what you're what you're offering. That's it. Yeah. I still talk about it, and I talk about it yesterday, and I talked about it to somebody else from a different agency. That you mm-hmm. know, they introduced me to themselves at the, you know, they're an artist as well, and says, "Oh, I'm from a rival," and it's like, "Well, you're not really from a rival at all." It's like when people say, "Oh, that's your competition," it's like you're not my competition at all. It's yeah. like the only person that's my competition is me right now, the me I am right now, and how better can I be than the person I want to be later on? So yeah. that's the person I'm competing against is me every single time to be better at what I do and to hone and develop my skills even more. But interestingly enough, when they says you're, you're, you know, the competition and all this like, but, but you know, and then I, we, we had a discussion and we were going back and forward and, you know, I was talking to her about, you know, how, how, you know, she wants to leave and everything like that. And she wants to do her own artist thing and everything. And I went, why, well, why are you not doing it then? Because I don't have, I'll not be able to develop the income enough to do it. And it's like, you could do anything you want. You don't realize. I know. You could monetize. And, and I said to her, you could monetize this. You could, you know, I could I could help you do this. But she didn't believe that I was able to help her. Strange, eh? Yeah, and yet yeah. I had more belief. I had more belief for that person, for them, than they had for themselves. 
What does that say? But I've come across that over the years, all the time. Yeah. I see more in other people than they see in themselves, and and but 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 they can't stay the course because they never ever see that. And and as much as I try to help them see it, it just sometimes. Well, it, we know at some point in time there's there's a price to pay for everything. If you want what you really want, if you put your goals up on that wall, I can get you these goals, but you're going to have to pay a price to do it. Yeah. And it's no my price that you've got to pay. It's your price to get the goals that you want. So how really, how mu how much do you really want them? How important are these goals to you? Or are they just like, oh, I just put them up because I feel nice it's about it. And they feel nice and fuzzy about, you know, oh, <laughs> I could have that beautiful car and I could have that beautiful house and I could have all that. And it's like, these are all the things I want. And this wonderful holiday I could have. I could have all these things and it makes them feel nice about it, think about it, but they never want to think about the fact that if you actually don't do anything, you'll never ever achieve them. If you don't actually do anything or sacrifice anything to actually get them, then you're not going to achieve them. Well, you say sacrifice, I just say pay a price. Yeah, okay. Because you're not sacrificing anything, really. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not, a, it's not you're not taking a dagger out and, you know, slicing <laughs> open a alarm no, and no, like, getting right. his guts out and going, I think based on the soothsayer all the rest of that and you're not doing that um but but what you are doing what you are doing is your your um what i call is a uh, um compromising settling yeah settle um you know that's that's what people do they just they just settle they get to a certain point and they think well that's enough for me i don't want to pay a bigger price for for for, for what i really want mm-hmm Whereas I think to myself, and everything that just goes through my mind, and, you know, I, I talk to everybody about this anyway, I just think to myself, if I'm lying on my deathbed, will I actually regret no doing this? And if the answer to that is yes, it's like, we're doing it, come yeah. hell or high water. If the answer to that is no, it's like, well, no interested. And I only focus on the things that I'll regret. That's all I do now. The things yeah. that I'll regret is the biggest thing I focus on now. Whatever that is, no matter what it is, if I'll regret maybe helping, you know, a charity be a, a bigger charity and bring in more income, then I will help them uh, do that, and I will help them uh, develop a, a strategy in order to do that as well. Um, so that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of thing. So, so figure it out yourself. The Gilbert's law is that's what it's all about. It's just like you'll, you'll figure it out. You know, just have mm. trust that you'll figure it out. Yeah, I think it comes down to having trust and confidence in yourself and belief in yourself to actually be able to figure things out and, and navigate through that, um, whatever the situation may be. So final one. What's the final one? <laughs> I'm, then? I'm laughing about the final one because I know what it is, obviously, because I looked and, <laughs> and, and uh, I kind of fall. I'm, I mean, I'm guilty of this. It's Falkland's Law. And it's when there's no need to make a decision, don't make a decision. And, and it's a bit of a troubling kind of habit to follow because you find yourself overthinking about every aspect of your life. And I'm quite bad at overthinking yeah. things and and trying to be a perfectionist. And I think that's where this all falls into. Um, and it's something that I do. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Um, you know, I, we've all fallen foul of that. You know, mm -hmm. the fault ones are up and there's no need to make a decision. Just don't make the decision. And um, I, I tell you a classic example of that. But when I when I think of how this will apply, when someone says to me there and then when I'm looking at something, mm -hmm. you can get it today 
for 20% less, but you need to buy it today. Now, I immediately think to myself, do I really need this? And if the answer to that is no, then the answer to the question is I'm not interested. But you're getting 20% off. It's like, no, I'm not interested. If I do need it tomorrow or the next day, and I definitely I need, not want, if I need it, then I'll go and buy it again. But I bet you I'll probably get the 20% off again anyway. I was just going to say, you'll probably get the 20% off later in the line anyway. They've given me it already. They've given me the money off already. You know, it's a classic classic trait of a salesman, a a typical sales tactic. I mean, I don't do, I've never done that sort of thing. That's pressured selling. And a lot of stages do that. I can give you a real good deal today. It's like, no, no, they'll give you that deal any day. It's like, don't kid yourself. But people actually just, they don't fall for it, but they like to they like to think they're getting a good deal. And that's all they like to think. So they go away feeling they've got a good deal because they've said they've got a good deal. But the reality is you would have got that deal tomorrow and you would have got that deal in six months' time. It would have been the same deal. It probably would have been better, by the way. Because they might, because yeah. the reason they're trying to do the deal is they're trying to get, they're trying to get you to commit so they can get income. And if they don't get that income, therefore they're probably going to come back to you and say we're going to need, it. We're, we're desperate for income, so they're probably going to even cut the throat more. Mm-hmm. But but that's a, that you know that's probably um, probably the classic example. If you really don't m- need to make that decision, just don't make the decision. Don't yeah. you don't have to. You don't have to look at look at loads of things that I've looked in the past. Like let's think about doing that. Let's think about doing this. Let's think about doing that. What would happen if we do this? What would happen if we do that? Um, have I actually done anything about these things? No, no, because I thought they're not they're not they're not they're not particularly essential to what we do. They're not critical to what we do, and they're like you know they're things that might add a bit of value but they'll not add significant value and they'll not make a difference to what we're doing right now. So there is no impending reason to implement them straight away, make a decision for the sake of it. Yeah, I think it's important to always look at um, different things and and, uh, things continually change and consider things, but it doesn't mean you always have to act upon them. And I think a good example, if we relate this back to property investment, and we spoke about this a few times, is we have people end up being so busy just for the sake of being busy and they, they continually are making decisions about like say they buy a buy to let purchase and it's like oh i need to do this i need to do this i need to do this and before you know it they ripped the whole place out and cost themselves an absolute fortune because they've made all these decisions and done all these things that they didn't really need to do look at a house seller they make mm-hmm. all these decisions and do all these things and then you come around and you go well you didn't really need to do, that. Need to do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you that's didn't need to do it. Examples, yeah. So what was the point? If you didn't need to do it, why why did you need to do it? Why did you because they felt uh, people sometimes for the sake of it, people actually feel they're actually doing good because they're making decisions. But mm-hmm. sometimes the best decision is not to make the decision. Yeah. And that's Definitely. where Falkland's law comes in. When there's no need to make that decision, just don't make the decision. And and remember the word is need. There's no need. Need is essential, want is a desire. Yeah. So that brings us to the five. I mean, there's, you know, there's one more law uh, which you you would have definitely heard of, and, and uh, some uh, someone from a from a tech background, for example, and mm-hmm. and 
and and it's Moore's law. I mean, have you have you actually ever heard the Moore's law? I mean, I, I haven't really heard of it until I looked into it. I haven't heard it. the Moore's law, no. But so it comes from Gordon Moore, yeah. who's the founder of Intel, right? And it states that the number of transistors in a dense integrated circuit doubles approximately every two years. In mm -hmm. isolation, that seems quite dull, but its but its implications are hugely significant. Put very crudely, it means that the processing power is getting much better all the time, which drives the limits of our technological process, of our technological progress. So Moore's yeah. law is that, you know, it states the number of transistors in, in a dense integrated circuit doubles approximately every two years. In other words, in other words, um, well, look at, for example, um, I've got more power in my mobile phone. I've probably got, uh, yeah, I've got more power in my mobile phone than the actual first, first, the first, uh, computer. first yeah. no. No, no, no. Then the first spaceship it landed on the moon. Right, okay. I've got more power that's on my mobile crazy. phone than the first spaceship actually landed on the moon. God, that's crazy to think that. Yeah, I know. But there's more. There's more technological power and processing power in my phone and anybody's phone and a smartphone now than there was in the first moon landing. And it's because of the moon landing that all this progress was made. And mm -hmm. then micro, you know, micro components, microcomputers and microchips. That's why they're called microchips, nanochips, nanotechnology. This means they go smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till, till that's what he said. You know, a, a, an integrated circuit, a dense integrated circuit will double approximately two years for that reason. Now, could we apply some sort of technology of Moore's law to house prices? And that, there's a there's a, there's a okay. small alignment with that. Now, when you look at house prices, house prices double every fifteen to twenty years, and everybody mm -hmm. goes, "I will never continue to do that." Yes, it will, no because salaries will double as well. Therefore, and then what happens is the banks will become more creative to keep them selling business and they'll provide better products. They'll provide longer terms of mortgages. They'll maybe provide lower interest rates because that's the way the demand is. Because remember, they have to keep selling loans. They can't sell loans to people that can't afford the loans. They're just yeah. like, they're, yeah, and put it crudely, they're a loan shark. You know, it's just that they're legitimized by the legislation and they follow certain rules. But in order to, for them to stay in business, they have to keep selling you loans. They have to keep selling something in order to keep building that. So when they take your money and they lend it out to 10 different people, but they've only got your money once, and the hope that that doesn't all come back in. So see how that multiplies every single time. So that's yeah. the only way a bank, the bank will keep in business. And that's the only way an economy will keep in business as well, and growing. So this is what he said, you know, about the technological improvements it'll double every single time. This is why our economy has to grow as well. And this is why we said, you know, the 3% rent, this is this is daft. <laughs> this is daft. This is like the 3% rent that we wouldn't have otherwise applied, the increase every single year. If you apply it over the next five years and increase the rent by 3% every single year, you're actually getting an 18% increase in the rent over five years. That's more than what the government's complaining about just now. I know. And yet we they're, they're saying they're rent 3% every yeah. single year. How stupid is that? Did they ever ever, they obviously never thought that through. 
Yeah, you you said I'm was the last thing you sent this to me. So I'm not going to tell them, and not very many people are going to watch the show anyway or listen to the <laughs> show, especially at the end of it. So we're all going to keep buttoned about it. Yeah, zip, throw away the key. I'm not saying anything else about that. I know because you you messaged me about this, and I thought really, and I, and I went away and worked out, and then I phoned you, remember? Yeah. And it's like it's crazy. So it's some like twenty four percent over ten years. Yeah. Um, it's 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 crazy, or, or maybe it's thirty four percent over ten years. It's like wow, <laughs> it's like flipping egg, really. It's like over ten years they're complaining right now it's gone up so much, and yet over the next ten years by what they're saying in the model, it's like it, it, that just defies logic. So the only problem, the only way to sort that problem we talked about in the beginning, the limit and supply, is actually to to define the problem in reality and actually and and actually really. Um, and, and Kidlin's law is, is well, yeah. it, write down write down the matter clearly and it's half solved. But but you need to know what you're actually writing it down and define the problem in itself. So that's it. You know, that's it in a nutshell to finish this off. Yeah. The five most powerful laws in the world, with the one extra added, is Murphy's law, Kidlin's law, Gilbert's law, Walson's law, um, you've got Falkland's law, and then finally you've got Moore's law. Um, and that's the five the five most powerful laws in the world. Um, yeah. and, and most people will, will follow one of them or maybe two of them, but the really successful people will, will follow all of them. I'll guarantee you. I'm quite confident that a lot of people watching um, will probably, I mean, myself, last week when we decided we we're going to talk about this week, I'd never heard of any of them. But when you actually look at what they actually are, you do actually impl implement them at certain points in your life. So yeah. hopefully it's been useful to everybody. Um, we did change the times a wee bit this week. and. Sorry if I've mucked up yeah, some people's Monday Gary says sabotaging my Monday time blog. <laughs> there you go. Gary's come up with Sod's Law. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and exactly. Yeah, and Sod's Law is it happens, you just deal with it. Yeah. And that's the best way forward. Kind of aligning with the one that we just spoke about, which was uh, Gilbert's Law. It was yeah. like you just have to think on your feet and deal with it at the time. And yes. Gary, you'll be probably extremely successful because of that, if you follow that mantra. Okay. Right, thanks, John, thanks for that. For that was great. Me. Thanks everybody for watching, and we'll leave Perfect. it there. Until next bye bye week. for now, folks. Thanks. Bye.